Empire. Welcome to Inside the Cap. I'm your host, Joel Corey. You can find me on Twitter at Corey Joel, that's C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L, and also read my regular CBSSports.com column, Agents Take on NFL Salary Cap and Contract Matters. This time around, we're going to take a look at a couple things. First, we're going to look at the major events of the past few days in the NFL, and also um, take a look at some things you might see happening contractually once free agency starts. Heading into this week, we had nothing going on in the trade market, and things really heated up this week. Any trade that was agreed to this week cannot be formally executed, or I should say last week, cannot be formally executed until the new league year starts on Wednesday the 16th at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. That's when trades agreed to can become effective. Now, the first thing... The first domino to fall was Russell Wilson. And him getting traded contradicted what we heard publicly at the Combine from Pete Carroll and John Snyder. They did not intend to trade Russell Wilson. Well, Russell Wilson had a no-trade clause that was waived, and Russell Wilson will be going to the Denver Broncos. Denver's getting Wilson and a 2022 fourth-round pick. Seattle is getting Drew Locke, who for now is the starting quarterback. That's subject to change. Tight end Noah Fant, defensive lineman Shelby Harris, a 2022 first-round pick, a 2023 first-round pick, a 2022 second-round pick, 2023 second-round pick, and a 2022 fifth-round pick. Now, in terms of Seattle, uh, Russell Wilson had a $37 million um, cap hit, and you're supposed to make $24 million. That $24 million was $19 million base salary and a $5 million fifth day of the league year roster bonus due on March 20th. The $24 million now goes to, goes to the Broncos. That's their responsibility. Seattle has 11, picks up $11 million in cap room just isolating Wilson alone. But got to factor in that they're taking on three other players. Drew Locke's cap hit and salary, $1,451,022. Shelby Harris, $8 million in cash for 2022, but the cap hit is a little lower, $7,970,588. And that's because of part of his per-game roster bonuses isn't counting on the cap right now. And Noah Fant, $2,211,918 salary. There's also a fifth-year option that the Broncos can pick up, which must be exercised uh, no later than May 2nd. That should be at $6.85 million for the 2023 season. Now, in the offseason, only top 51 salaries, cap numbers count. So when you net all this out, because you have three guys coming in, one going out, that means a couple of guys will drop out of the top 51 um, with these guys coming in, the net pickup in cap room for Seattle should be $776,472. So Denver gets their quarterback. It'll be the first time they had a true quarterback of a high caliber since signing Peyton Manning in 2012. I'm going to reserve comment on what this trade means to Seattle until I know who the quarterback is. Um, if they can get Someone who is at least an above-average starter. That'll make me feel better about the trade. Otherwise, I consider Seattle to be in rebuilding mode. Now, that wasn't the only trade uh, to take place. We also had Carson Wentz get traded, which I didn't think was going to be possible. Um, I didn't think any team would be willing to take on all of Carson Wentz's 2022 base salary. He's not not base salary, complete salary. He's got a $22 million base salary, but his total compensation for 2022, $28,295,176. The Washington Commanders were willing to take that on. That surprised me. He's under contract for three years through 2024, total of $81,706,941. The 
I thought if Carson Wentz was going to be traded, that the Colts were going to have to eat part of the salary. If they'd released him, they'd have been on the books for $15 million because that's how much of his base salary was already guaranteed, and it had no offset. So I thought they would have to eat maybe half of that, $7.5 million, maybe the whole $15 million to facilitate a trade. But he comes off their books completely. There was no bonus proration. That was all left in Philadelphia when they acquired him, and they didn't rework the contract, restructure it for cap purposes. So he's clean off their books. Now, um, Indianapolis gets a 2022 second-round pick, a 2022 third-round pick, and a 2023 third-round pick. The third-round pick can become a second-round pick if Wentz plays 7% in 2022. And the Commanders get Wentz in a 2022 second-round pick. Now, Colts being able to do this, I give an A+. Now, for the Commanders, it's an upgrade. They haven't had a good quarterback, and I don't think Carson Wentz is the equal of Alex Smith since they traded for him, um, I think, 2018. He had the unfortunate injury. Um, which basically derailed his career. Um, they haven't had quality quarterback play since then. Tyler Heineke is really a spot starter, and Ryan Fitzpatrick got hurt last year and barely played. So it's an upgrade. Uh, if you can get Wentz, which is more like he was – prior to his implosion in 2020 in Philadelphia, then Washington can maybe make some noise in the NFC East. But phenomenal job by the Colts for getting rid of Carson Wentz's entire salary via trade. Now, he had other trades come up as well. Khalil Mack is going to the Los Angeles Chargers. And the Chargers are... Uh, giving up to the Bears a 2022 second-round pick and a 2023 sixth-round pick. This is a case of a team which has Justin Herbert still in the window of being as cheap as possible on his rookie contract, so they're trying to amass as much talent as possible while they can. Khalil Mack had a $30.15 million cap number in Chicago. They're going to have $24 million in dead money from his original signing bonus proration plus two contract restructures they've done. So they're going to take they're they're going to gain 6.15 million of cap space and he he's going to be off the books after this year. The Chargers take on a total of 63.9 million for the next 3 years, 2022 through 2024. The 2022 salary is 17.75 million. So if they don't restructure it, then he doesn't work out. They can cut or trade him and won't have any residual cap charges or dead money. Um, Another trade which took place, or is going to take place, and this is a case of what you see happen occasionally, is that it was out that Dallas was going to release Amari Cooper. So you put it out there, you're going to release him and see if someone bites because they don't want to have competition once he's released and they trade for him. That's what the uh, Cleveland Browns did. Um, Cleveland gets Amari Cooper in a 2022 sixth-round pick. The Cowboys get a 2022 fifth-round pick and a 2022 sixth-round pick. Now, as I've said before, Cooper's trade is of his own doing or his agent's own doing because of a lousy structure in his contract. I'm not going to rehash it, but it wouldn't have been an issue had the third year, 2022, the full guarantee vested last March like it should have for a deal of this magnitude. Now, the Cowboys pick up $16 million of cap space. He had a $22 million cap hit. There's $6 million of dead money from the $10 million signing bonus, so that's $16 million of cap space freed up. He's got $60 million left over three years. Now, um, there are automatic conversion rights in this contract. Um, so the Browns take on the $20 million this year, which becomes guaranteed on the fifth day of the league year. It's already guaranteed for injury. But they can go ahead and convert it into signing bonus. If they want to add voiding dummy years, 
Then they have a conversation with the agent and work something out. But hypothetically, they could convert $18.75 million of his $20 million into signing bonus, leave a $1.25 million base salary. You're going to pick up $12.5 million of cap space this way. Uh, the new cap number uh, would become $7.5 million for 2022. But the 2022 2023 and 2024 cap numbers would increase by $6.25 million apiece. That'd make both of them $26.25 million. Now you couldn't get rid of Amari Cooper free and clear if things don't work out. You'd have $12.5 million of dead money with a conventional release or a conventional trade, should it happen. Um, we also had the never-ending drama saga of Aaron Rodgers come to a conclusion uh, before the Russell Wilson trade was announced. So Russell Wilson kind of stole a little bit of Aaron Rodgers' thunder. Aaron Rodgers has decided he's going to remain with the Green Bay Packers. Um, and also, there's a report out there that he's signing a $200 million four-year extension, averaging $50 million per year. I thought Aaron Rodgers would become the first $50 million per year player. He had so much leverage in this case. That's basically where I thought the deal would come in. Now, the deal, we don't have any details about the deal, except there's supposed to be $153 million overall guarantees. I don't know signing bonus, anything else like that. But one thing I do know is that by Wednesday, that deal needs to be finalized because the Packers aren't in a position where they can have Rodgers on his current $46,664,156 cap number. He, in cash, he's scheduled to make $26,970,588. If this thing is anything like his last contract extension, it's going to have a record signing bonus. The extension he signed in 2018, which made him the highest paid player at $33.5 million, had a then record $57.5 million signing bonus. The biggest signing bonus in NFL history is... Dak Prescott's $66 million signing bonus. So they're going to need to pick up cap room. The easiest way to do it is to give them a massive signing bonus. Now, because you could prorate it over this year and the next four years of the extension, um, if I'm Rodgers, I don't want it in a signing bonus. And here's why. I want it in a fully guaranteed roster bonus. Because if you have skill cap and injury guarantees at signing, that roster bonus gets prorated like signing bonus over the five years. But in terms of recoupment, the only recoupment would occur in 2022. So the side, the bonus would be his free and clear. There wouldn't be any situation where the Packers could ask him or demand repayment. They wouldn't have rights under the signing bonus. They would have rights to say it's 70 million, 14 million per year. So let's say he played 2022 and 2023. Then if a $70 million signing bonus, they could ask for $42 million back if he retired after the 2023 season. So I would try to, if I'm Rodgers, I want it all in a roster bonus. So that's my money. We don't have any issues of them trying to demand repayment, which is the right under the CBA. See Article 4, Section 9 of the CBA if you want to go into detail about that. But... If you gave him a $70 million signing bonus, and let's say you dropped his base salary to as close to league minimum as possible, and let's say you got it to $1,170,588. The reason I have that odd number is because of what he was supposed to make this year, which ends in 588. So gave him a $14 million signing bonus. You got the you got three sets of proration already on the books, $2.85 million. $4,821,568 and $11.5 million. So you add the new $14 million of signing bonus proration, the reduced base salary, then you've got a new cap hit of $34,344,156. So the Packers would pick up $12.32 million of cap space this way. And I'm also assuming that you take the 520000 of likely-to-be-earned incentives, you either turn them into being not likely or you get rid of them altogether because if you're making $50 million per year, you don't really need incentives in your contract. If you want smaller signing bonus and then bumped up 
uh, roster bonus in March next year, which you would most likely convert into signing bonus. Let's say it's a $50 million signing bonus, then you only have $10 million of proration um, this year as opposed to 14. So that's an extra $4 million you'd pick up. So you would pick up $16.32 million. The cap hit would be $30,344,156. So that saga is over. We don't have to deal with Aaron Rodgers anymore. Um, he's going to end his career as a Green Bay Packer in all likelihood unless he becomes someone who defies odds more than Tom Brady and ends up playing beyond 45. We've also had a couple of guys get deals done who were headed for free agency. Namely, Mike Williams staved off a potential franchise tag by signing a three-year $60 million deal with $40 million fully guaranteed, uh, $21 million as a signing bonus. Smart to do a three-year deal when you are in your mid-20s so you can get another bite of the apple once the salary cap starts to take off with the new TV money or media rights deals factoring into the equation. Here's something interesting, um, at least to me. Um, Mike Williams is represented by Tory Dandy. Tory Dandy also represents some other young receivers who are going to be needing new contracts. Debo Samuel, 49ers in a contract year, second round pick. DK Metcalf, Seahawks, second round pick in a contract year. AJ Brown, second round pick in a contract year. These three guys were drafted in 2019 in the second round. So Mike Williams probably just becomes the floor for all three of these guys. And I wonder what the timing is going to be among these guys. He also represents uh, Chris Godwin, who is franchised. So I don't think there's any case where you're going to get Chris Godwin um, signed for under the $20 million per year, even though you have the injury um, with the torn ACL uh, for Chris Godwin. That his franchise tag number is $19,179,600 because it's the second franchise tag and it's 20% more than his um, original tag of last year. And we also had one major extension of a 2019 draft pick. Fourth round pick, uh, Max Crosby signed an extension which ties him with uh, Khalil Mack on new money average of $23.5 million to make him the fifth highest paid non-quarterback. It's a $94 million extension over four years. As I said, $25 million average, $53 million total guarantees, $26.515 million fully guaranteed at signing. Now, he was supposed to make $3.986 million this year. When you have a guy like this who hasn't made any significant money, once you start getting up there in dollars from the agent standpoint, you may have to have what's called what I call a double negotiation. The agent may think he's worth more. The player starts thinking, man, that's a whole lot of money. I don't want to turn that down. And you may have to stave off your client to a degree, but you got to remember you work the agent works for the client, not the other way around. So if the client says pull the trigger, you pull the trigger. Now, if he'd been a first round pick, he would have made more money and probably would have had a little more conviction potentially and gotten a better deal. But this is what you'll see with mid to late uh, draft around draft picks who don't have significant money made in their NFL career. Obviously for real life, it's significant money, but for the NFL world, it's not significant money. So when you see a situation like that, sometimes it comes in maybe a little under expectations That may be one of the reasons why, and I had to deal with that as an agent, where sometimes my harder negotiation, I felt, was with my client in keeping him from doing something I didn't think he should do. But ultimately, when I, if I couldn't persuade him to hold off, I'd try to make the deal as good as possible and go from there. But nonetheless, Max Crosby, now temporarily the fifth highest paid non-quarterback in the NFL. By the end of the year, but by the time the regular season starts, that certainly won't be the case. 
We also got some news on Friday um, regarding Deshaun Watson. No criminal indictment uh, for him. Um, the 22 civil allegations are still pending. But since there are no criminal charges, that should kind of pave the way or at least make it a little easier for teams to want to trade for him because they know he's not going to do any jail time. Um, I still anticipate that he is going to get a suspension on the personal conduct policy. You don't have to have any criminal sanction to be punished under the personal conduct policy. So I would anticipate probably a four to eight game suspension whenever that gets adjudicated under the personal conduct policy. But we know that uh, Sean, first, Sean Watts has no trade clause, so you can't just send him anywhere. The Texans aren't going to pay him $35 million to go away like they did last year when it was $10.54 million. We know the Texans have wanted, reportedly, three first-round picks and two second-round picks or the equivalent of that. Um, the Saints supposedly have interest. Uh, the Panthers have interest. Um, the Browns have been poking around. Um, Deshaun Watson, he, the Texans are going to supposedly give him permission to start talking to other teams. He wants to do his due diligence to figure out where he, for which teams he would waive the no trade clause. In order to acquire him, you have to have $35 million in cap space. Um, That's a salary for this year. Um, The easiest way to work around that would be if you took some of that fully guaranteed $35 million base salary, he'd have to agree to this before the trade. Move it into next year's $17 million roster bonus that becomes fully guaranteed on the fifth day of the league year. To keep from being prorated, it couldn't be fully guaranteed at signing. You'd have to have two of the three guarantees. Um, and then the third, by guarantees I mean skill injury and salary cap, and the third one vests like five days later. So I don't know what the amount to move would be, but hypothetically, let's say it's $15 million. So that lowers the cap hit to 20, so the acquiring team would be absorbing 20 million this year, and then the um, roster bonus would go from 17 million to 32, and it would essentially it would be fully guaranteed by by the time you'd have to make the decision. It's got a 20 million dollar base salary guaranteed for injury, which is fully guaranteed on the fifth day of the league year as well. So that'd be 52 million dollars in total salary. So you'd be converting something next year, and there are automatic conversion rights in that contract. The one thing I would do if I'm Deshaun Watson, if this is the case, one, I would want the uh, additional money moved, paid in a lump sum as soon as it's due. I wouldn't want the payment, like, stretched out. And two, um, I'd meddle with the guarantee language. Since guarantees void for a laundry list of reasons, and one of them is a suspension of the personal conduct policy, I would want my guarantee in 2023 the 37 million which he has right now in 2023 plus any money that he puts into 2023 in this case i want to modify the guarantee language to where personal conduct policy suspension does not avoid the guarantees if i'm going to be doing that that'd be one trade-off that i would ask for if I'm Deshaun Watson, that puts me in a better position with the guarantee than I would be otherwise. Um, because all the guaranteed money is gone after 2023. He's at, he's got $32 million in 2024 and then $32 million in 2025. Um, so that may be a workaround. So you don't need $35 million of cap space to acquire Deshaun Watson. But you got to have all parties on board with that. Now, um... Tuesday was a deadline for players to get franchised. We had two wide receivers franchised, two offensive tackles, three tight ends, and one safety. Um, We've already talked a little bit about Chris Godwin. He got a second franchise tag. Um, Cam Robinson got a second franchise tag. Probably shouldn't have gotten a first. I wouldn't have doubled down on the franchise tag for Cam Robinson, but the Jaguars did. Um, David Njoku... Dalton Schultz and Mike Gusecki all got um, franchised as tight ends. So that kind of clears out the tight end market. Um, Finjoku in particular, 
if I'm Cleveland, I would have toyed with the idea of putting a transition tag on him for $9.392 million. I wouldn't have any, um, just, I'd have just matching rights. I wouldn't get two first-round picks as compensation on an unmatched offer sheet. But the one risk would be if someone did an extremely front-loaded contract like what happened several years ago when Charles Clay got franchised by the Bills. and I mean, got transitioned by the Bills and went to the Dolphins. It was so front-loaded it couldn't be matched. Or you could do like uh, what happened with Olivier Vernon when franchise tag was uh, transition tag was taken off of him um, from, I believe, Miami when he signed with the uh, Giants so they could still get the compensatory pick out of, out of the equation. But the tight end number for those three guys is $10.931 million. The two offensive linemen, Cam Robinson and Orlando Brown, at $16.662 million. Um, Jesse Bates, franchise tag, is a safety, $12.911 million. Um, the wide receiver franchise tags are going off to 120% provisions. I um, gave you Godwin's previously, but Devontae Adams should be $20.12 million. And it's 120% of prior year salary. And the way you do that is you take his base salary plus his per game roster bonuses. That's added up to $16.35 million. Um, you multiply that by 120%. That gets you to $19.62 million. Then you add in after the increase the $500,000 workout bonus. That's what happened with Allen Robinson last year. So that's how you get to $20.12 million. Now, Monday um, on the 14th at 12 p.m. Eastern time is when the legalized tampering period starts. The, the agents of impending unrestricted free agents and free agents who are representing themselves can start talking to teams officially up until right before 1 p.m. Eastern time on the 16th. You can verbally agree to deals, but you can't sign anything until that time unless you're resigning with your own club. This period does not apply for the franchise players, but let's take a look at um, some of these guys and I'm going to go through um, what I might have been asking for and in some cases what I think they'll get. For Devontae Adams, this is one where I know I've got a ton of leverage because Aaron Rodgers. The, the only way Aaron Rodgers was coming back is if Devontae Adams was going to be there. Packers probably would prefer not to have the franchise tag number looming over them. So maybe they get two deals done. Um, you can significantly cut Devontae Adams' um, cap hit with a new deal. Oh, I'd be targeting... A $28.5 million per year deal. I know there are reports that he's looking for 30 I think that's a, a bit much, <laughs> even for me. <laughs> and right now, the highest paid non-quarterback is T.J. Watt at a shade over $28 million. Highest paid wide receiver on a contract which the Packers didn't want to acknowledge, but deals negotiate new money. That's the Andre Hopkins two-year extension. He had three years left. He had $27.25 million per year. That's the new money average. So, I'd want to be over that, want to be the highest paid non-quarterback, at least temporarily. Uh, Nick Bosa, I think, hits $30 million per year. Um, Aaron Donald, if they rework his contract, he's got three years left. It'd be like the Hopkins thing where the new money might be over $30 million per year. It might be $60 million in new money, and maybe 40% of the new money gets allocated through the remaining three years. Um, but he'll be above it. So I'd want... 93 million in the first three years, average 31 million. Green Bay doesn't do conventional guarantees in veteran deals. The one exception to the rule is Aaron Rodgers. Every veteran contract he signed um, pretty much has had conventional salary guarantees. So, because of that, I want the cash flow to be better than it would be normally, and I want a record signing bonus for a non quarterback. Right now, that's $40 million with Aaron Donald. So let's say $50 million would be the um, amount I would want. So let's say you gave him a $1.25 million base salary in 2022, and you got $10 million of bonus proration on the five-year deal. That means you got 
uh, 1.25 million as your cap hit as opposed to 20.12, which you would have um, on the franchise tag. So given that Green Bay has one of the most challenging cap situations, um, that's something to keep an eye on. Now, out of the unrestricted free agents, the one I would want to represent, I'd be licking my chops to represent, would be J.C. Jackson. When you got a cornerback in your mid-20s, and cornerbacks are a premium position, you got a guy who can who's a ball hawk. He proved that he could make the transition from being the number two guy to the number one guy with Stephon Gilmore being traded. Then I want to do a three-year deal with him, and I got to be the highest-paid guy. Highest-paid guy right now is Jalen Ramsey. He's only $20 million per year defensive back. He signed a five-year, $100 million extension um, in 2020. It was worth up to $105 million through salary escalators. He's got the most money fully guaranteed at signing at $43.703 million and $71.203 million in total guarantees. Now, I'm gonna, I would aim really high, thinking if I don't get it, I still want to be the highest-paid guy. So I'd be looking for $22.5 million per year. And whether you could get to that point would depend on if you got more than one team. If you got one team, it gets harder. But you can still occasionally do that as an agent. I occasionally did deals with smoke and mirrors where I had one suitor and could pretty much get what I targeted. If I got multiple guys, then it would work out to my advantage. You also need a client who's willing to maximize, doesn't care where he plays, and wants every last dollar as opposed to has, if it's here, I want X. If it's here, I'll take X minus 1. If it's here, it'll be X minus 2. Sometimes that factors in the equation as well. Um, but I would want a three-year deal for him so I get another by the apple. I'd be looking, that'd be $67.5 million over three years, $47.5 million fully guaranteed, and that'd be the overall guarantees. Basically, I'd want the first two years fully guaranteed. Another guy that intrigues me is um, uh, Teron Armstead of the um, New Orleans Saints as an offensive lineman. Now, the thing is, you don't see high-quality offensive linemen hit the open market. I know there's some injury concerns about him because he's only played eight games in 2021, had knee surgery in January, Um, but I wouldn't care. I'm like... I might be amenable to some per-game roster bonuses um, to alleviate that concern where you get a little bit of cap break and the cash break if he does not stay healthy. But I would be aiming to be the first $25 million per year offensive lineman since he's, I think, 31 or will be 31 when the regular season starts. I don't care about length of contract with him. I'd go five years. And I'd want $60 million fully guaranteed at signing, uh, 76.5 overall guarantees, and that $76.5 million would basically be the first three years. Um, now, Mike Tannenbaum, the former um, Jets and Dolphins GM, put out an article where he had five guys for what he would offer. We could probably work together and get something done because Mike Tannenbaum – said he would go $117.5 million over five years what he'd offer, which is $23.5 million per year. There'd be $55 million guarantee. We have some work to bridge the gap on the guarantees, but the $23.5 million per year in Mike Tannenbaum's offer would make me the highest paid offensive lineman right now. That is Trent Williams at $23.01 million, but that's a little misleading because of the structure because there's an option that has to be picked up um, after the three years, which really makes the first three years um, $60.75 million. If you take that out of the equation, it's David Bakhtiari at $23 million per year. But uh, that's what I would be looking for um, in Armstead's case. Now let's get back to Chris Godwin. Um, I didn't say what I'd be looking for, but I'd do a three-year deal. With him, I'd 
probably catches some break on the guarantees because of the injury, but I want $23 million per year from him because um, the market receivers is going to escalate. I, for, personally, I'd wait for Devontae Adams, go from there. And since it's Torrey Dandy, I'm curious to see what the order is going to be of the receivers, the, the extensions he gets done. But I'd be looking for six nine million over three years. I, Forty-three million overall guarantees, uh, thirty-five million um, fully guaranteed at signing. Now, with the knee injury, I don't think it's going to affect him dollar-wise, maybe structurally, which is why I don't have the first two years totally fully guaranteed and what I would want. And He's young, got hurt at 25. There's a receiver who had reconstructed knee surgery in 2018 around the same time frame as Godwin, Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup hadn't become what he did this year as Cooper Cup. We're at a season for the ages, but he didn't miss a game in 2019 and had a career year at the time of 94 receptions, 1,161 receiving yards. 10 touchdowns and played every game. Now, let's uh, look at one more receiver, um, Allen Robinson. This is going to be an interesting case. He did not have a contract year that anyone would want. Played 12 games, had no report of Justin Fields, 36 catches, 410 yards, one touchdown. I would be trying to sell teams on the fact that he's still the same guy he was in 2019 and 20, when he was one of the most productive receivers in the NFL over those two years. Fourth most receptions, 200. Fourth most receiving yards, almost 2,400. I would be looking for the same money I was I would have been looking for last year when he got franchise tag. And that would have been $90 million over four years, $50 million overall guarantees, 40 full guarantee at signing. Fully aware that the odds of a team going there <laughs> – wouldn't be the same as if he had been on the open market last year. Um, in any event, I would not want to be signing for less than Kenny Galladay, who was coming off of an injury plate contract year when he had a very slow mark develop last year with the Giants and signed for $72 million over four years, $40 million in guarantees with incentives. The deal was up to $76 million. Um, going to the tight end market for a minute, um, I think if Dallas hadn't put a franchise tag on Dalton Schultz, he would have had a very strong market. So he's another young guy. I want a three-year deal for Dalton Schultz. $43.5 million over three years would be my target. $14.5 million per year. $37 million overall guarantees. $30.5 million fully guaranteed at signing. Um... All the tight ends that were um, franchised are going to be looking to go above $12.5 million per year, um, which is where Hunter Henry and John U. Smith were last year when they signed with the um, Patriots. Now, Schultz in particular has had two seasons of good production, had a career year last year. 78 catches, 808 receiving yards, 8 touchdowns. Since the start of the 2020 regular season, he is one of four players among tight ends to rank in the top 10 in receptions, receiving yards, and touchdown catches. He's 4th, 7th, and 6th in these categories. Other three guys, Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller. Now, I'd probably be telling Dallas, if we're going to do this like DeMarcus Lawrence and i got to play in a franchise tag the first time because we can't get a deal done and... You tag me again next year. Anything we talk about this year goes out the window because the cap from talking to teams conservatively is being estimated at 225 to 230. If you want to stick a franchise tag on me next year, and if we're just talking 120% provision, we're talking $13,117,200, knowing I could leave in 2024 free agency, because you're not going to put a franchise tag on me at the quarterback number, then you're going to make me the highest paid tight end if we do this in 2023. I'm going to want way more than George Kittle if I go out and do anything remotely close than I did this year. So um, that's the risk that Dallas may run with him. Um, Another guy I want to look at is Ryan Jensen, um, who could have been the conversation this year for the best center. Last time um, in free agency, when he went to the Bucks, became the highest paid center at $10.5 million per year on a four-year deal. Um, so I basically want another four-year deal, want to be the highest paid center again. We just had 
Um, Jason Kelsey reportedly signed a one-year extension for $14 million. That's not the highest paid. I'd want $15 million, and I'd want $31.5 fully guaranteed and $31.5 million um, in overall guarantees um, to be the top guy and basically be the deal percentage-wise for the guarantees that I had in 2018. Now, that's another guy Mike Tannenbaum gave um, what he'd offer. We'd be a little bit off on this one. He's at 39 over three years, 22.5 million guaranteed. Um, let's see if we can get something done. Um, we're in both in the same hemisphere, but I would want to be the highest paid center if I represented um, Ryan Jensen. Now, sticking with the offensive line, let's turn our attention to Brandon Sheriff of the Washington Commanders. There's no way he was getting a third franchise tag, uh, being franchised the past two years, because it would have been the quarterback number of $29.703 million. Now, based on recent history, he should become the highest paid guard. Because what we've seen in the past few years, you get a Pro Bowl caliber guard, hit the open market, he resets the market at that at the guard position. Um, Sheriff has been to five Pro Bowls in the last six years. 2021 Pro Bowl selection. Some people thought he may not have deserved it. He has durability concerns. He's missed 24 games over the last four seasons. Right now, the standard is Joe Tooney. Five-year, $80 million contract in free agency last year. Just under $47 million in guarantees. So I'd be looking for $18 million per year because um, he's coming off of playing for two franchise tags for $33.066 million. That average is $16.533 million. He's not going to want to take a pay cut. So I'd want $52.5 million overall guarantees, $36 million fully guaranteed at signing, and $55.5 million the first three years. I'd be kind of working off of the uh, Tooney structure. Now, um Last offensive line we're going to talk about is Orlando Brown. Um, Brown got franchised because you weren't going to give up the draft capital you did to acquire him um, and let him walk out the door. He acquitted himself well enough in left tackle, um, earned Pro Bowl honors. Might actually be a better right tackle than left tackle, but he wants to be a left tackle. Um, I wouldn't want to do. I'd want to go the Laramie Tunsil route of a three-year, three new years, because he turns 26 in May. So I'd want to take advantage of the cap growth. But I'd want to be the highest-paid guy um, for where the market is now. So we'd be talking 70.5 million over three years. If I get the first two years fully guaranteed at signing, um, an overall guarantees. For, if I want, if I get the first two fully guaranteed signing, I'd be uh, I, that'd be ideal. But if I couldn't, I would take a little bit less for that. But really, if I can't get the first, I'd want $50 million fully guaranteed at signing. Um, and overall guarantees, I'd want some of the third year to be guaranteed as well, 57 and a half. I know that's kind of high, but that's kind of where I'd be looking for. Now, sticking with the Chiefs and going to the defensive side of the ball, um, because you stuck a franchise tag on um, Brown, you couldn't stick one on um, Teron Matthew. And he wasn't going to get one anyway because the way the 120% salary increase provisions work, it would have been $23.63 million um, to stick a franchise tag on him. Now, in the offseason, Brett Veach, the general manager, the Chiefs said they are going to try to keep him. Um, and he was talking about the cap being about $15 million less than where it would have been if we didn't have the revenue losses from the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, Matthew turns 30 in May, and it seems like uh, he could be walking out the door. Um, He's intent on testing the market. We've had the safety market change. Um, Jamal Adams signed a four-year extension, averaging $17.5 million per year, which maxes out at um, $72 million. Uh, The prior standard had been Justin Simmons at $15.25 million per year, which he got from the Broncos after being franchised for a second straight year. And in the interim, you had right after Adams signed, not in the interim, right after Adams signed, you had 
Harrison Smith, who's 32, signed a four-year extension. And if there was any chance that the Chiefs were going to get something done, that Harrison Smith deal probably put a monkey wrench in it. Um, it averages $16 million per year. But it's a little inflated because the last year the deal has $18.1 million in it. So the new money after the first three years is 15.3. Coincidentally, is just above Justin Simmons. Now, if I'm Matthew, I'm going to kind of ignore it's inflated, and I'm going to go with what the four-year average is. I'm going to want $16.5 million per year. I'm going to want $66 million over the four years, and $35 million fully guaranteed at signing, $35 million over guarantees, which essentially be overall guarantees, guarantee in the first two years. Now, this could be a case where he doesn't get this money. The last deal he signed was $42 million over three years. He's not going to want to take a pay cut, but because of Harrison Smith, that kind of changes the equation of where he'll want to be. Now, um, another safety was, as I mentioned earlier, Jesse Bates, who's been franchised. Bates wants to stay in Cincinnati, and this was before they had their Super Bowl run. This was last offseason. He wanted a new deal done, um, expressed some frustration on the rare times he talked to the media in the preseason, and admitted it affected his play early in the season. But by the end of the regular season, he was back to playing like the second-team All-Pro he was in 2020, had a hell of a run during the playoffs, which is why he got franchised. Now, Cincinnati not getting the deal done last year is going to cost them money because it would have been cheaper had they got the deal done before Jamal Adams. Now, I wouldn't be looking to top Adams, but because of the way Cincinnati structures contracts, there's no guaranteed money except signing bonus. They have third and fifth day of the league year roster bonuses in year two. Um, to substitute as guarantees, but they're not true guarantees. So knowing that, I want a $20 million signing bonus because that's my only true guarantee. And I want $17 million per year because I'm young. And I want to do, um, for the young guys, I'm, as you see, there's a consistent theme. I'd be wanting three-year deals. Does he get to 17 on a long-term deal? Probably not. But I don't think you're going to get him for less than Simmons. is $15.25 million per year. Now, a defensive player that, if I represented him, I have a little bit of trepidation in what to do, would be Devondre Campbell. And for a couple of reasons, he's been on the open market twice. Hadn't worked out for him. Two years ago, signed a one-year deal with the um, Cardinals for $6 million. Last year, um, open market was worse. Uh, from my understanding, he wanted $10 million per year in that range. Um, couldn't find any takers. By the time he ended up signing, he was picked the best situation you could, and he got a one-year deal for $2 million from the Packers, which is maxed out at 2.5 with incentives. Now, should be a little bit different this time around for him um, because he had a great year. He thrived as the every-down linebacker in Green Bay and earned first-team All-Pro all honors. But the previous experience may make him a little gun-shy in free agency. So, normally, you have an All-Pro year at a position. You start looking at the top of the market. The top of the market for off-ball linebackers is approaching $20 million. It's Darius Leonard at 19.7 on the five-year extension he signed, right after Fred Warner's five-year extension, averaging $19.045 million. But... Devontae Campbell's not going to approach anything remotely close to that. So I would be looking to go a little higher than what Levante David got last year. And you had only two off-ball linebackers with expiring contracts get to $10 million per year or more last year. Levante David and Matt Milano. They both re-signed with their own teams. David, who is 31, signed for two years, $25 million with $20 million in guarantees, 17 fully guaranteed at signing. Milano took a four-year, $41.5 million contract, which is worth up to $42.8 million with incentives. It had $23.5 million in guarantees. So I'd be looking at $40 million over three years is what I would want with $27.5 million fully guaranteed and overall guarantees. Thinking anything above 10, million, I'm happy. But that's what I would be targeting. 
Um, getting it and targeting it are two different things. And I'm speaking of the Packers, the last guy that we're going to talk about is one which I would have a really tough time trying to value, and that is Rasul Douglas because I don't think I've ever seen anything like what Rasul Douglas's um, season arc was last year. That he was released by the Raiders in the preseason. Texans signed him after, after he cleared away uh, almost immediately when when um, um, subject to waivers. Didn't make the Texans team. Went to the Cardinals. Was on their practice squad. And then when Jair Alexander got hurt, the Packers signed him for league minimum. He made $770,000 for the season for the Packers. The prorated amount of 990000 for the year. In 12 games he played, man, he was awesome. Picked up five passes. He returned two of those interceptions for touchdowns. Now, if I'm a team, he's a buyer beware guy because what happened last year was nothing remotely close to anything he's had in his career. And he was a 2017 third-round pick. Hadn't played anywhere remotely close to this level. So I would be trying to get $10 million per year from for Rasul Douglas, fully aware that there may not be a team that comes close to $10 million per year. And I'd have to just potentially adjust my expectations. Now, saying that, I'm going to be totally wrong. He's going to blow this out of the water. <laughs> but, no, the expectation would be I'd be fully aware that someone might go, I'm not going to touch that on a long-term deal anywhere close to that. But I'd be looking for $20 million overall guarantees, $15 million in signing, knowing that I might have to adjust my expectations, lower them very quickly with this guy. Because this is one of those where you can legitimately price yourself out of the market given how he's played throughout his whole career and not have. And if you stuck there too long, it could get ugly. So I would be willing to be flexible pretty quickly depending upon what feedback I got from teams. But... That's going to wrap it up for this week's Inside the Cap. Don't forget, you can find me on Twitter um, at Corey Joel, C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L. And also check out um, my work at CBSSports.com with the Agents Take column. Um, Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here next time. Goodbye.